0: This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. This is Whitley Strieber. This is Dreamland. Today, we have a really interesting guest. He's been on Dreamland before with Black Swan Ghosts. Dr. Simeon Hine is the director of the Mount Baldy Institute, a research and teaching company which he founded in 1997. We're going to talk about that and what he means by what he teaches, which is resonant viewing. I did not say remote viewing. I said resonant viewing, and we're going to talk about that. But today our primary target is a discussion about Bigfoot. We all had a great time with a beautiful, a flash of beauty a few weeks ago. It was a wonderful documentary. Simeon knows it and loves it too, but he has written a book to, I mean, a wonderful book about Bigfoot called Dark Matter Monsters. We're going to get into Bigfoot in the way you and I folks, I know have always wanted to. We've had people on this show who go into Bigfoot as if it was a primate from this world. But there are people who listen to this show who see Bigfoot regularly. And I'm sorry, something's off, way off. Simeon knows what it is. This is going to be so much fun. Okay, now, before we have that fun, we're going to have another kind of fun. I wanna know about resonant viewing and I'm really fascinated. I might take your course. Tell me about it.
1: Well, Butley, thanks for that introduction. Um, great to be here today. Resonant viewing, you know, more commonly known as remote viewing, that's how people refer to it. RV refers to both. It's this ability we have to tune into non-local information, to get information about people, places, events, at a distance. It's something I came across in 1996 at the Farsight Institute uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. I had heard uh, Courtney Brown talking on my local radio station, KGNU, and having just come out of graduate school, even been an assistant professor teaching statistics, there was a part of me that was skeptical and thought, I don't believe that I can do this that everybody has this ability. We had all seen those uh, women natural psychics on that TV show in the 80s, uh, Bevy Yeagers and some others, right? And they would work with police and solve crimes and things like this. I had seen that show in the 80s somewhere. I knew that there were some natural psychics. I didn't realize we all had this ability to some degree or another. So it's a type of training system I learned a training system that teaches anybody to be able to do this. I learned the Ingo Swan method called CRV, which he created for the U.S. government at Stanford Research Institute, amongst other places in the 1970s. And the, the government found it very useful to use in military and intelligence purposes. The viewers that were part of the program, I'm sure you've interviewed them, would say that the government would come back to them all the time for more RV targets, if it didn't work, how come they were showing up every week asking for information about X, Y, or Z, you know, all the alphabet soup agencies. And then you had Joe McMonagle, who was working in the East Coast program, receive a Legion of Merit award for something like 150 sessions and 200 pieces. I think they call it essential elements of intelligence. People have gotten prestigious awards for their RV abilities. Joe McMonagle being one of them. I learned about this in the 90s and was really astounded that, you know, through a simple protocol, you know, that people can people can actually learn to do this on their own. I mean, I just happen to have a session here since we're going through a class. It's a written system. There is a target that the viewer doesn't see until it's all over. It's hidden in a folder somewhere. They can't see it. There are some random numbers written on it. You just give them the random numbers. And if it works properly, they go through these phases, stage one, or as we call phase one, phase two, where they start getting sensories, dimensional data. It's like an aperture opening up. And if it works the way you would expect it to work, by the end of the session, they have drawn what the target seems like in their mind, which in this case is these small little red objects which is exactly what the target is. Now, how did they do that in 20 minutes without getting any advanced information about the target? This is what people have always wondered. It certainly has been something I still think about daily. How do we actually do this? But it shows us, Whitley, there's something else going on in the way that we relate to reality. There are subterranean channels of communication that your conscious mind's not aware of, but you can pick up and describe
0: Okay, how can people do this course? Because you know, I've been personally meaning to do this for a long time, because I I can do this I can do this remote viewing very well. I've just uh, never taken a course. I took a brief course, a one day course once. But tell us how you can get involved. How we can get involved.
1: Well, I've always thought this should be something that anyone can try just on their own without even paying anything. So I have a little free mini class at learnrv.info. People can just go and sign up for that and see seven of videos that I've made. I just wanted people to be exposed to this so they could try it out. It's like a little mini course going through these phases saying, here's what you do. Try this, try that and see what you get. But I also have been teaching this now whitley for 25 years i started in 1997 i'm not sure it was my idea to do this i did have a very lucid dream where i received some instructions from some entities that it seemed like in my awareness that were giving me instructions how to set up a business and recommending that i do this they even showed me a map of the u.s and they said this area where you're in could use this sort of education. That's how I remember the dream. It was at night. I'm just telling you what happened. And I just said, wow, I never thought I could run a business myself. I'm out of academics. I set it up and here we are 25 years. I'm still teaching it. We have a class going right now. They go about five, six weeks. We meet, we do it by zoom. Now for a long time, people flew into Boulder, Colorado, where my business is based. And we would have, Great times meeting over a long weekend, Friday through Sunday. So, I teach classes, and I'm not the only one. There are many other RV teachers out there. I'm just one of many that teach this, and I found that people who do this really pick up some benefits. They tell me it's beneficial to them in their personal lives, in their businesses. Later, this is why I keep doing it. People tell me it works for them, I keep teaching it you could go to virtualviewing.org and see the different ways to do my self-paced classes online or uh take one of our live classes that I do a couple times a year on zoom
0: okay great so we are on notice learnrv.info and yeah, i have a lot of personal reasons for for wanting to get better at this get get more organized about it so now Free Dreamlanders, we're going to take a little break and wait for it because when we come back, we're going down the Bigfoot Trail in a super cool way. This is going to be fun. We're back. We're talking with Dr. Simeon Hine. His website, newcrystalmind.com. That's NewCrystalMind.com. You can also go to LearnRV.info and explore his remote viewing program. Now we're going to be talking about Dark Matter Monsters, Uh, his new book, Cryptids, Ball Lightning, and the Secret... (laughs) Science of Secret Life Forms, and believe me, you don't need to hold it up because it—you it, know—it'll be.
1: I'm just so proud of it, Whitley. I know, I know. Just, I know but... Like my little kid, you—we were talking about this. You've self-published, and yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. I self-published too. I am very proud of my books as well. I—it's wonderful to have this total hands-on deal, where from the from the day you start writing until the day the book is in people's hands, it's your work exclusively. Yes. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I, I, I know how it feels, so I respect this. Okay, boy, do I have a lot of questions about Bigfoot. My interest in this goes back a long time. Uh, D- Tom Slick, who did the first Yeti expedition in the Himalayas, was a family friend. So this was, this was part of my childhood. And his uh, niece, Catherine Cook, who's been on Dreamland not enough, but years ago uh has repeated his journey in, uh, about ten years ago, so as I say, I was into this for a long a long time ago now, I'd like to start by talking about some things that are a little bit off or wrong, and in particular the the presence of the academic and scientific community in this research. And the problem of stripping off the high strangeness in order to make it seem believable. Because as you will know, folks, this actual experience of Bigfoot is no more believable than your lives or mine. We experiencers live this stuff. Okay, so tell us what happens. Uh, Is it called the Bigfoot Mapping Project what? What yeah. is the yeah yeah? Go ahead and talk about this. Well, thank,
1: thanks for saying that, Whitley. Uh, very well said. Uh, we and I can't agree with you more. We have been set on stripping out all the high strangeness from all these phenomena, even UFO accounts, as you're well aware, from different right. organizations. I've been accused of this when I've written about cold fusion and low energy nuclear reaction, something that I've been looking into for the past 10 years or so. And people say when I've posted my YouTube videos and they get reposted on some of these cold fusion research sites, you'll get comments below. Watch out. He's also had videos about UFOs, UAP. Well, excuse me, the Congress of our United States is watching videos right now about UFOs, UFAP. And this is a, uh, This is not how science works. We don't strip out the high strangeness. That only works that way when you're concerned about social acceptability, and you're only thinking narrowly about your career. And you're thinking, is this gonna be career enhancing or not? Well, look, sometimes you have to do what's the correct thing for science, which is to tell the truth and for society. And you don't do that by stripping out the data. It's a no-no in science. I learned this in graduate school, anyway. Thanks for mentioning that. So the Bigfoot mapping project is something that I learned about in this wonderful new documentary, which you mentioned you're aware of, A Flash of Beauty. Yeah. Bigfoot revealed you had the producers on the show uh, not too long ago. And I I just will say, just as, you know, fair disclosure here, they did ask me to be part of the sequel, which will be coming out sometime soon. Oh, good. That'll
0: be good for the sequel.
1: Yeah, thank you. (laughs) <laughs> and so I thought this was just a fantastic movie. It wasn't my introduction to the subject. Obviously I started working on dark matter monsters as you, you've written your own books. It takes about a year to do this, but I thought finally we have a really top notch documentary with very credible witnesses, beautifully filmed. And it really conveys the feeling of what these encounters were like. And in The documentary, Whitley, as you're mentioning, there is something called the Bigfoot Mapping Project, which I wasn't aware of before. And this is worth looking up for everyone, Bigfoot Mapping Project, because some people that had worked with the government in, I think it's a different mapping, their own mapping projects, GIS and other things that do mapping, said, wouldn't it be cool if we took the BFRO website, Bigfoot Researchers Organization website, BFRO.net, And mapped out all the encounters that are on the site to a map. So when you pull this map up, Whitley, you find extraordinarily that the sightings aren't that far away from you, no matter where you live. No matter where, I I know. These are endemic to our planet. Why we don't talk about it more? There's a number of reasons for that, which we'll get into. But people are having, this is not just something in the Northwest, as I originally believed. But listening to the Art Bell Show back in the 90s with the cryptozoologist, Lauren Coleman, and, you know, I mean, big impression on me, and he just mentioned it as being something confined mostly to the Northwest, the Cascades, he gave a size of the population. I thought, like many of us, that this was some sort of relic bipedal primate, perhaps. Yeah,
0: well, that's what Tom Slick thought and what – but I heard also from Lauren Coleman, probably on this show at one point, and uh, what I believed until other experiencers, UFO and close encounter experiences, began to write me and say, hey, wait a minute. Uh, don't you understand that Bigfoot's part of our world? Our world?
1: Right. It's part of our world. It has wait, lot- wait. We, we
0: have we yeah. have something terribly exciting. It's going to happen in a moment. But not to our subscribers, I'm sorry to say, our free Dreamlanders are going to watch a couple of really cool commercials. We'll be right back. We're back. We're talking to Simeon Hein, his new book, Dark Matter Monsters, uh, a fascinating new look new vision almost of the whole Bigfoot phenomenon that recognizes the high strangeness. Uh, Why don't we look into that a little bit? And you know how, where I would like to go from here, I think is in this kind of an unexpected direction. One of the most fascinating things you mentioned is the fact that children can often hear Bigfoot talking to them in their heads. Now, When the visitors are around, they talk to you in your head exclusively. They don't talk. They can't talk, actually. They don't have that ability. And there are some human beings connected with them who can't talk either. either, I can assure you I've met them. And they're, they're not really very nice either, at least not the ones I've met. But anyway, that's an entirely different story. Tell us about children and Bigfoot talking to them in their heads.
1: You read these witness encounters, and they're readily available to read these encounters on Amazon. I give all the references in Dark Matter Monsters. You hear this repeatedly from children, from adults. Um, You can hear this from witnesses on some of the podcasts that have uh, stories and encounter experiences from witnesses that are readily available online. And they all say the same thing. They say that they can hear the creatures talking in their minds like you did with your visitors that you wrote about in your books that I actually read many years ago. And in some ways this is coming around full circle because your books introduced me to some of these concepts for the very first time when I was a much younger person. So thank you for that. But that's what children say they experience. They can hear them talking through the walls and when they've brought the adults over, and said, so-and-so, it's happening again. Come over, you know. Or they have their parents sleeping in the room with them or a relative because they're afraid of the creatures talking through the walls. The adults will not hear anything, but they will also hear the sounds and the talking. Sometimes the creatures do talk through your walls. People have heard it audibly, but sometimes it's purely telepathic. They seem to want to play with kids. It's not that any of these kids that I've read about have reported been harmed by these creatures in any way. In fact, I was just at a Bigfoot Sasquatch adventure weekend in Bailey, Colorado, hosted by the Sasquatch Outpost, where we spent a couple days in a Bigfoot hotspot area, Bailey, Colorado, around there. And I was talking to some of the Navajos who had come up from the reservation to be part of the Bigfoot search. This is something that is endemic to their culture. I worked with the Navajos during, in college. I went out to a very remote part of New Mexico. Before I knew about any of this, Whitley, I'm still in uh, college. <laughs> I don't think I had read any of your books at that time yet. And uh, I hadn't really been exposed to the subject. I worked in a remote part of New Mexico. I got to know the Navajo. There were some Navajos here at the Bigfoot Adventure Weekend, and they told me a story of a woman who in the 1940s said that she had been taken by these creatures, by the Bigfoot creatures. She was out sheep herding as they do on the reservation with their sheep herds. All of a sudden she disappears. They, uh, they go searching for her. They get hundreds of people looking for her. And and this fellow, uh, told me that they, uh, they went out farther and farther into the woods looking they couldn't find her five days later she shows up again and she says they were tall and hairy and I was they took me and they fed me they took care of me for a couple of days and then they just uh, they brought me back they said, oh, you were with Bear. She said, no, they weren't Bear. They walked on two legs. This is what she had said as a five-year-old to the people after she came back. So they have had interactions with children for a long time like this. And they do seem to be able to project their intention into your mind, whether you're a hiker on the Yellowstone Continental Divide Trail, whether you could be in your home and they could appear outside and they start talking to you people have described it as either a muddy sounding voice in your mind mechanical sounding interestingly enough even computer like but it's speaking in english and it's speaking to you so
0: you know i think that you hear it and i'm not sure it it's any language that we know i've been with this language with the visitors for a long long time and I think if they speak to you in your head, you're going to hear it in your language, no matter what your language is. That's, that's my, my feeling anyway. Uh, okay. Here's something that I'm just going to throw out from your book, which I am definitely not going to throw out. Anyway, the screams and howls are not just for show. They're creating superconducting feedback loops, which keep recharging their energy levels. Wow, can you explain that? He yeah, I'll that. Know, he said that, so he knows how to explain it.
1: My the research in dark matter monsters, the book came together for me because of my interest in cold fusion, low energy nuclear reaction. Leonard, what I learned from listening to the lectures of Bob Green, your Martin Fleischman Memorial Project. Many people remember Martin Fleischman and Stanley Ponds from the University of Utah. They are come out in 1989 with their discovery of an electrochemical reaction that produces excess heat. And they're immediately pilloried and ridiculed and totally uh, ostracized from the physics chemistry community because people say this is impossible. But what we know is many people have been discovering the same phenomena going all the way back to Nikola Tesla. When you create vibrations and frequency, something called cavitation, and it's the the vibrations are intense enough and sustained enough, it can produce a kind of autocatalytic reaction, a self-sustaining reaction that creates a type of compression, and you get these sort of you know subatomic coherency forming. This is why the book has to do with ball lightning. So when we're looking at Bigfoot sounds. People have just assumed it's territorial. I'm reevaluating all this evidence because we have to reevaluate it because the, as we pointed out a few moments ago, we can't use the previous explanations that it's a relic primate or an undiscovered human. None of those fit the data completely. And so if you look at the evidence from cold fusion, this whole area called coherent matter, there are lots of ways to generate coherency. Within matter. And as we said, resonant viewing is one type of coherency where you're resonating with another signal. Nature seems to like to create this coherency. It's another state of matter, Whitley. It's past plasmas. Plasmas are lightning and aurora borealis, neon signs, and plasmas we see out in the cosmos. The most abundant state of matter in the universe is plasma. And we've all seen it, we've all encountered it. The next state of matter, ionized gas electrically charged gases. We've seen it with lightning many times. But the next state of matter past plasmas is coherent matter. It was theorized by Satyendra Bose and Albert Einstein back in 1924, where they thought, wow, if quantum mechanics is true, like it appears to be, it would suggest that at very low temperatures, the atoms lose their individuality become one big atom. Electrons will become one big electron, something like this. And this was observed finally 70 years later in Boulder, Colorado, at the NIST Laboratories, National Institute for Standards. So the reason this all connects is when we're looking at the phenomena people see around Bigfoot, balls of light, cloaking, apparent teleportation, telepathy, as we just talked about, all of these phenomena are also associated with coherent matter and if that would be true nature doesn't waste anything whitley what they're doing must be generating some sort of compression that allows them to interact with coherent matter in a very interesting and novel way and i would imagine when they're making their sounds in the same way that sound can be used to create cavitation and this kind of collapse of air bubbles and so forth, and this kind of compressed matter. I would imagine that this isn't the first time we've discovered this. It wasn't discovered in 1995 with the Bose-Einstein condensate. I bet nature discovered this a long time ago, and that there are life forms that are taking advantage of it. We're rediscovering it. We think it's something new. It's very exciting, but I'm sure nature's already doing it. And I think that these creatures are using their sound to create all sorts of physical effects that people say experience experience personally themselves when they're around these very loud, bellowing, shrieking, howling sounds.
0: You know, it it leads to the question, have they evolved to pass between universes? Because, you know, you're talking to somebody who has done that. I mean, I've literally done that physically. I, I know it's possible because I've done it. I've done it more than, I've done it three times, in fact, physically. And non-physically, I can do it, I can go down here uh, to a little park that I sit in right after this show, and I can do it. And I will move into another universe with which I have become very familiar, which I became familiar with it on the Pine Ridge Reservation, Lakota Sioux Reservation in 2019. I've been going there ever since. But here's the fascinating thing that I don't do it very much for a reason. The reason is that for, they don't like it. I get punished. They come out and they come after me when I do it. And it's not pleasant at all. Now, could Bigfoot cross back and forth? Is it an a survival adaptation. They're they're under pressure maybe from a predator in another universe and they can cross over. Is that possible?
1: I think it's definitely possible and it would fit the evidence. It would uh, fit the evidence. Yeah, it would. No, and again, it's like we're saying right in the beginning of the show, we don't want to just strip away anything that seems slightly strange or weird or we <laughs> wouldn't have modern science as we know it. This is what people say they experience. Igor Burtsov, the Russian researcher that I got to talk with at the Bailey Sasquatch conference in 2021 gave us this lecture where he said at first, and he's been studying this for 50 years. He's a PhD political science, got interested in this topic 50 years. He said, at first we thought it was a relic primate, some undiscovered, Ape or member of the primate family, Gigantopithecus, or something like this. Then we thought it was some undiscovered relative of Neanderthals and other type of human. But our latest conclusion is that it's a paranormal human because of what the witnesses say they see. What the witnesses say they see are this creature can literally disappear in front of your eyes. Sometimes it's just like that. Often there are these light phenomena. Sometimes it seems like a curtain of light comes down and it just disappears. And this could be just a few free feet in front of you. Other people have said that it sort of seemed like there was a flash and it was gone. Where do they go when they're not here in our physical reality? I mean, it's not leaving footprints anymore. And as others have, uh, trackers have described, we saw this at Skinwalker Ranch, Jonathan, Jonathan Dover, the ranger. Navajo Ranger from the reservation said that he would see this, the track prints disappear in muddy ground, in trackable ground, as Dover said it best. In trackable ground. He said it's like something pulled them up in the air and they just disappeared. I don't know if that's what's happening, but they're literally disappearing out of our physical reality in the form that we're used
0: to. Okay. We're going to say goodbye to our free dreamlanders. And I'm so sorry to do that folks and when we come back we're going to explore disappearances and and returns a little bit more deeply and what what did people who ended up going with bigfoot into another reality and then coming back say and what about those who didn't return because there are some of those too free dreamlanders thank you very much for listening to dreamland and listening or watching dreamland uh, as always, we are here for you. We will be here next week. Uh, Unknown Country offers a wonderful free message board and all kinds of def- free stuff, free news. Uh, there's lots to do on the site. So I urge you to use unknowncountry.com as much as you want, want to, even if you don't want to pay for it. Uh, it's there for you. Uh, Simeon Hines' new book is is Dark Matter Monsters. Uh, His website is... Excuse me. All my stuff's falling off my desk here. That's what this is all about. (laughs) His his website is newcrystalmind.com and you can link through to that, from that to his remote viewing website, learnrv.info. Interesting guy. So get engaged with him. I mean, not literally, <laughs> but figuratively. Um, thank you, Free Dreamlanders, so much for being with us today on Dreamland. Simeon, I have to ask you this question of, of disappearances. Let's talk about, first, let's talk about people who have gone with them and come back. There are some cases like that, aren't there?
1: There are some cases of people that say they have been taken by the creatures. I gave an example in the previous segment. Right. Oh, girl. We have cases of this where people say they have been. uh, There was a case like this, I believe, in the. uh, The Northwest California area back in the 30s of people who said that prospectors and others said they were taken by the creatures and kept captive for a couple days before they uh, came back most of these cases that i'm aware of it's where they're still staying in our reality really they've been taken to a remote area and they're still physically in our they feel like they're physically in our reality but in some cases when you look uh, as Ron Moorhead did, where he looked. Ron Moorhead, by the way, I'm sure you've had him on the show. He recorded the Sierra sounds up in the high Sierra.
0: Yeah, yeah, we've had Ron on, on the show. Not in a
1: long yeah, time. So talk, yes. So talking about invisibility, he's the one of the main proponents of this. And he was there. He's encountered them nine times, I believe, nine different expeditions up to the Sierra. Um, and he told me when we talked not too long ago. In our, in our YouTube interview, he said, you know, they should have been casting shadows on the side of the wood, the, the, the lean-to structure we had built there. They were right outside the wall. We had mics in the walls. And we could see through the cracks in the wood, but there's no, no, no one there. But the sounds are coming right from the other. And, and these are the creatures having conversations, arguing back and forth in their reverse samurai languages. It's called this kind of very staccato, rapid language. It is a language. And so Ron had very close contact with him. He wasn't taken by them. He never felt that they wanted to do that. They did seem to want to interact, to communicate back and forth. Uh, so many strange stories that Ron related. To what really struck me, Whitley, is how similar his stories are to other people's encounters. You realize this is a whole area of suppressed science. What we call this in sociology, hidden events. These are these are things that happen to people that people don't talk about because they're concerned about sociocultural stigma as the UAP task force called it in their report last year. But in any case, uh, there are people who claim they've been taken Now, in these cases that I've read. I'm thinking of one case where a woman kayaking, I can't remember the location. She didn't say where her kayak tips over. She's by herself. It's very cold water. She goes unconscious when she wakes up. She's being taken care of by these creatures. They feed her for a couple of days and defend the perimeter of the property. They mark the perimeter of the property so that other animals don't harm her during the night, bear or mountain lion and so forth. And uh, there are other authors that have reported these types of incidents from their witnesses. Paul, uh, uh, Buckner reported one of these cases of a, a native in, in uh, native American in Oklahoma, same sort of experience goes after hunting. takes a misstep, falls into very cold water and he's sort of taken care of by them for a few days. I remember a case in, again, these are cases I've read about. They, they I can't, you know, guarantee a hundred percent of their accuracy, but this is what people say they've experienced. A woman who was a nurse for an oil company in Canada was taking a break in Glacier National Park brief vacation. she said that she started running to try to get back to the parking lot as it gets dark. you know that feeling when you're in the woods and it's starting to get dark and you feel like oh yeah she tripped nervous. and broke. yeah, we've all had that feeling. you can start doing things irrationally. you shouldn't be running in the dark, but she ran and she was overweight. she broke both wrists. She rolled down to a stream. And it's so loud, no one can hear her walking by as she's trying calling for help. Occasionally, people go by. The streams and glacier are really loud at certain times of year. They're just thunderous. She said a creature came after a couple days. She wasn't sure if she was hallucinating, but it fed her berries and some sort of pancake-like uh, cake, which didn't taste all that bad, she said. And then all of a sudden, she remembers being carried down the trail to cabins in near the parking lot. By something big and hairy, and she's rescued. So there are many cases of them actually rescuing people in certain situations or taking them back. Um, that's just the extent of my knowledge about it. I don't have any accounts like extraterrestrial encounters where you really were feel feel like you were taken to another reality. But I'm sure if we looked at Native American uh, stories about that, we'd probably find those.
0: We probably would. David Pallides uh, has a. Of course, he's famous for his uh, work about disappearances, especially in national parks. Is there any of that related to Bigfoot? As you are, are you aware of the disappearances that seem to be related to Bigfoot? Because I, I've often wondered about that.
1: Whitley, it's a very good question. And uh, David isn't really giving an answer one way or another about it. I'm a subscriber to his YouTube channel. I watch many of his videos. This is something that I'm concerned about being a hiker, an outdoors person. Ever since I got out west in the 80s, going to the University of Arizona in Tucson, I've been hiking all the time, often by myself. I have never encountered anything that seemed scary or weird when I'm out there after decades. However, when you watch David Vidy
0: come out with vid- me sometime, Okay. I can, yeah, I can change that for you very quickly. Sure. Be glad to. Now, I spend a lot of
1: time outdoors. Not sure, I'm open to these phenomena. I haven't seen it quite myself in the way that other people have. But when you listen to David's videos, when you listen to these stories, as I do, as we all do, many of us, you really have to wonder, how could these people disappear so close to the rest of their hiking group? Yes. They're just down the line. They're just 100 feet away, and they're gone. And you just find the pocket change or their shoes or something. I mean, what could do that so rapidly? They don't even have time to call for help. Uh, it doesn't seem like any a human attacker could do something like that, given the closeness of and, and it, the remoteness of these locations. So you have to wonder if cryptids could be involved. And some of these stories that you do read, seem to suggest that some interaction is going on between humans and Sasquatch that we're not being told about, that I think the National Park Service might be aware of. I'm not saying that Sasquatch is involved in these disappearances, even though David did put this in his Missing 411, uh, The Hunted documentary, which is quite a good documentary, where I've looked into some of these cases. We've used RV on some of those cases to see if we could get more information than we learned from the video. And when I've gone to some of those locations, I've even gone into gas stations and so forth and said, do you have any update on this particular case? Because I'm so curious about it. So I do follow some of these cases. We can't be sure that it's cryptids involved. And yet at the same time, Whitley, I have to wonder, given that some of these encounters seem very hostile, especially people that go into backcountry in some of the national parks where I think the The Sasquatch are not used to having people go so often, or they may behave in an obnoxious way, like make a lot of noise or something that they're not used to. They don't seem to like loud, noisy people. Uh, And you read about these hostile encounters with park rangers and hikers and so forth where they're running for their lives out of there. At least that's what they feel is going on. They're running because they feel that there's some really hostile intent coming from these creatures and they need to get out of there. Or they even get an RV type premonition with it's kind of the inverse telepathy that we're talking yeah, about. They get a warning. They get a feeling. This is what they say, these park rangers and other people that work out there. I got this feeling like I needed to leave now or my my life was going to be over. That's the feeling you get. I haven't had that feeling. I haven't been in combat. I haven't been in a situation like that. But they say they get this incredibly intense feeling to leave. Don't even get your tent. Just get out of there. And they run. They Ditch their backpack so they can run faster. You have to wonder whether those particular cases, whether if they hadn't gotten out of there, those are the people we don't hear about again. Yeah.
0: Well, I I have a feeling you that might be uh, the case. Of course, we can't we can't pin it down because there's a general lack of hard evidence yeah. surrounding this whole thing. Now, this to me is what destroys the theory that it's a it's a form of of a, 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 a an archaic ape which has survived or even an archaic form of hum, the human being which has survived in certain areas because we would find something we would have found something by now uh because it's been years the native american peoples would have things that they had gotten there would be hair there would be skulls but in fact we have only the most scanty evidence a few footprints some hairs that may or may not be anomalous and and that's about it mm-hmm. no and i i there's also the the things that are done to saplings and stuff in trees that, yes. that's yep. that's there too but uh I think the lack of hard evidence tells us that there's, there is hard evidence. It's just not in this reality.
1: Yes, that's definitely one possibility. Uh, if you look at other accounts, park rangers and so forth, park workers, who have encountered what they feel like were these creatures based on what it looked like, uh, you know, after they were deceased, they say that they were told to destroy the evidence. They say that the Park Service doesn't want this type of attention, and I think that's consistent with David Politi's experience. Park Service doesn't want this attention. Get rid of it. We don't scare people. This will be bad for the Park Service if this is found out here, and they're told to get rid of it. Other park workers, even even state parks, have been told repeatedly, uh, what you saw was a bear. In the same way that UFO witnesses, Yes. What, you called, what you saw was a weather balloon. I mean, they will just get this repeated to them over and over by anonymous callers. You know what I'm talking about. It, it's it's a, a stra- weather balloon. You saw a weather balloon. So that's all you're going to say, right?
0: It's a, a strange phenomenon. And I don't think it originates here. Hmm. I think that there is a not an infinity of parallel universes, but we're directly connected with one. And they, my experience is they do not want us around. And I think that they are the ones who are influencing the minds of the people who do this incredible, insane thing of saying to their subordinates, destroy what could be the most important scientific evidence we've ever found. I mean, how could anyone say that? Any intelligent supervisor would say, well, we've got to collect this and get it it to the appropriate scientists and biologists, but instead they say destroy it. And well, I think I don't think they're alone in their own heads.
1: I Whitley, I am with you on parallel realities. My first book that I read about this was John Keel's The Mothman Prophecies. Everyone remembers those strange phone calls where the phone would ring when it was not even connected to the phone system. Yeah, absolutely. Ingrid Cold. Who are these characters? They've been showing up for centuries, right? And it suggests. I am totally with you there because parallel realities, multiverses, are a very respectable are a very respectable interpretation of quantum mechanics. Started. Oh, there are
0: plenty of physicists who insist that they are real, and they. I've read quite a few books about this. The evidence is overwhelming. In fact, there's new evidence that just come out recently. They are real. They are
1: real. Please share it with me. Uh, ever since you ever at the third at Princeton suggested this to his dissertation supervisor, John Archibald Wheeler, one of the mainstays of the Manhattan Project, very famous, influential physicist. He got blowback even back then, Whitley, to suggesting parallel realities. And he wasn't even suggesting that they interact with us. He just said it's the simplest interpretation of the Schrodinger wave function. And I believe we talked about this in our previous interview in 2020. We did, yeah. This is always in my mind. is Are we seeing evidence of parallel realities? Is this what it looks like? Does it look like Indrid Colt? Does it look like creatures that can become invisible right in front of your eyes or pop up right in front of you. Does it look like these UFO craft that seem to just to be there one moment and vanish the next without even physically flying away or visitors like you've experienced and many others where they can just seemingly go through the wall and they're in your bedroom. Right. Or you're going through the wall and you wake up outside on your lawn, as I'm told has happened to people high up within the intelligence communities within the United States government by several witnesses Uh, Right. And that's why they're concerned about it. No surprise. We're having hearings about this classified as they may be right now. So, yes, I think
0: Terry Lovelace's call from the Department of Homeland Security. After all, I mean, they were treating the abductions as crimes and as they should. But they certainly don't tell the public about it.
1: no, No. And this is why Terry said to me. When I talked to him, he called me one day and we were talking about this. I said, Terry, can I put this in my book that I'm coming out with soon, just about suppression of scientific information? He said, I want you to put it in the book and I want you to use my name because I think this needs to be public information. We know about your hey, experience. He was taken aboard that craft. The Air Force did everything they could to try to get him to change your story. What you saw was a bear. Well, it wasn't. It f- you know, it's the same sort of thing. <laughs> Uh, Whitley, I did bears
0: man. They get around, and they are really much stranger there, than we think.
1: There is, they get around, and there, I think this level of scientific suppression is not acceptable anymore. Just like it wasn't 500 years ago when the Vatican was trying to do its best to maintain the idea that we were the center of the universe and there was nothing beyond the moon that mattered.
0: Yeah, they burned one of the
1: greatest minds, Giordano Bruno. One of the greatest minds. Death. Who, who said? Based on everything we knew, there should be life on other – there should be planets out there in life and other animals and plants. This is what he literally and says. He, he, and he, Yeah, and he
0: lost his life for it, and Galileo nearly did.
1: And, and Galileo's he, was put under house arrest for the last right. was it 15 or 20 years of his life? Ten years go,
0: of his life, yeah.
1: 10 years. Goes blind. Stays, they never let him out, even though many powerful folks at the time tried to intervene on Galileo's behalf. And they still said, nope, he believes in Copernican ideas. It's a thought crime. But it's not. It's very different now in many ways. We can have these conversations we're not afraid of. Yeah, we're not going to get
0: burned at the stake, except very, very slowly.
1: Very slowly. But at the (laughs) same time, you have to wonder. We're talking about topics here right today that are serious, that matter. We have people disappearing in these parks and national forests. We don't know what's happening to them, as we mentioned. We have encounters. I dedicated Dark Matter Monsters to Claire, a woman I heard about from Sasquatch Chronicles, the podcast. And her encounter is so riveting because she's at the uh, the Otter Sea Reserve south of Carmel, California, near a place called Carmel Heights, where I've actually been because there were some conferences out there. Uh at one of the conference centers nearby. And she's just sitting there looking at the beach, wanting, she's an interpreter for a, a, lingu- a linguist and she works for a company, she's taking a break. And these creatures come out and she, they don't see her right away. And they're t- taking seaweed out of the water, she says. And the females stay back, the males throwing seaweed to the, the females and they're rubbing it on their bodies. And her camera lens drops, they see her. Their mood changes instantly. She said it wasn't zero. To 60 in a few seconds it was zero to full on i mean that male became extremely angry agitated it bellowed uh ron moorhead said in talking to her that it had air sacs on the side of its neck (laughs) like something from men in black or something like this but anyway she wakes up later she passes out from fear uh they, they and and she wakes up with bruises next to her car she's has mild bruises her her clothing is a bit torn up they have dragged her all the way back to the parking lot she calls the police she's a UK citizen she calls the police when she gets back to her hotel room and what do they say what you saw was a bear
0: <laughs> i'm telling you we that's we just have to accept these bears somehow these, these
1: transnational bears they're bigger, bears bigger than
0: we think um
1: they can speak. They can speak a language. They can. One more thing, Willie. Really, I should say about Sasquatch. You said that, and this is, I think, a very good idea. You had. They, they're talking in whatever language they talk in. Your brain is doing. it. Right. It's kind of like R V, where your conscious mind is interpreting the signal, putting it into words. That's its job. Uh, they are broadcasting their language, but we're hearing it in our head in our language. They can speak English or whatever language of any society they're in. They're very right. capable of, I'm not saying they're completely fluent in the language. Some people sounds say it sounds you know a little distorted, maybe like someone who is deaf learning to speak again, but they can speak the language and they can do it well enough to sound like your mom or a relative or a neighbor telling you to come in a certain direction. People say it sometimes sounds like them calling their own dog. It sounds like them calling their dog. They're hearing this from the woods, so whatever it is, I think we should know a little more about who they are and what their motivations are, and what where do they fit in on the family tree? They're obviously related to us, right? But they have abilities. Now, Let me say one thing here that's very important. People have often said, "How could a relic primate? Why is having to do with UFOs, which is like advanced technology, you know, ancient apes?" Because they're all using nature's principles. They are. This is hard for us to accept, Willy. Sasquatch are much more evolved than we are in some ways. We have to take courses in RV to learn how to do these things. I did. We have to practice to learn to do PK. Even people that are good at it said it took them many years to get good at psychokinesis, levitating things, projecting things with their energy. Sasquatch know how to do this because they're tapped into some elemental aspects of nature. Again, I think I'm arguing it's related to cold fusion. That's just my perspective on it. Because these are natural principles of nature, which have a lot of energy to it. And we're the ones, Whitley, to go back to your question at the very beginning of the interview, we're the ones that are limited. As Ingo Swan said, reality boxes. We're in these reality boxes that are quite limited. I say it's high time we stop defending these limited reality boxes and think outside the box. Let's Yeah, I well, agree with you. And think outside. And what are all these phenomena you've experienced it? Many people have experienced it. What is going on here?
0: Or live outside the box. I mean, live ex- experiencers yeah. do live outside the box. I mean, that's that's our life. I mean, my life, I have the visitors around me all the time. Not every day, but certainly, certainly three or four times a week. And uh, most experiences are like that now, too. I mean, if you keep with it, uh, it changes over time. And when we were having abductions and so forth, 20 years ago nowadays it's just part of your life and uh not necessarily an easy part of your life it can be hair raising i've had some real tough experiences lately um i'm gonna probably talk about them subscribers in a in a in a special subscriber sec uh, uh for subscribers that i'm going to do as soon as i've sorted it out more in my own mind okay let's let's go on down the path here um now one of the things that's fascinating is the presence of orbs around Bigfoot, and I don't know listeners, probably most of you don't remember because it's been since twenty fourteen I had Yuri Geller on the show. I've invited him back by the way, and I hope he he sees the email and comes. Uh, we don't, we're not friends, but he, he knows who I am and I certainly obviously know who he is. Anyway, uh, he talked about, and he's talked about this many times on many shows, the orb that changed his being. That's the best way to put it. It changed him into, it gave him powers that he did not previously have. Now, uh, there are orbs seen around. Bigfoot, could we be looking at a technology that brings with it all kinds of extraordinary powers, like the power to move between universes? What are we looking at when we're looking at the orbs around Bigfoot?
1: Good question. First of all, thanks for bringing up Yuri Geller. Okay. The yeah. hitchhiker effect did not originate at Skinwalker Ranch, as it's called. Right. It started with Yuri Geller. And Yuri, according to what he tells us, started with a ball of light in his courtyard, in his apartment complex in Israel that was witnessed by a neighbor. A neighbor came forward a couple of years ago and said they saw this incident happen where uh, Yuri was running away, trying to avoid the ball of light. And it chased after him and touched him. And Yuri said that his powers arose from this incident. Ball lightning is something that's been around for hundreds and thousands of years. I mean, it's been seen for hundreds and thousands of years. There are many reports about it going back in Europe. People studied it, Francois Arago, and then um, Walter Brand. He was a French politician that did a book about ball lightning, and Walter Brand in Germany did a book about it in 1923. And there's more recent accounts of ball lightning, Willie, going all the way up to... The Air Force study, even Eric Davis in 2003, who were familiar with in UFO research, you know, the Wilson Davis memo and so forth. These phenomena all do seem connected to what we call coherent matter. The thing about these orbs, and I've seen them, I saw one in crop circles just near Eastfield uh, at Knapp Hill in 1998. Uh, briefly just over the grass and the fellow next to me who was also on the crop circle tour saw it too. We both saw it. It just lasted a few seconds like ball lightning often does. I'm making the argument here in dark matter monsters that orbs and ball lightning are the same type of phenomena. I, I believe they are. I'm open to be shown something else, but based on all the evidence, what we know about is it's not always warm. It's often cold. It seems like it's glowing And it gives off light, but it's not always uh, electrically active. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. These orbs are seen around many paranormal phenomena. Phenomena we call paranormal. They're seen around haunted sites, crop circles. People have reported them around RV uh, sessions coming into the rooms where they're doing RV sessions. Um, I wrote about that in in Opening Minds. I mean, this is kind of astounding that all these phenomena are connected. And finally, Bigfoot and Sasquatch. There's a, a Miwok saying that I learned about recently, the tribe from Northern California, where Bigfoot walks, a lantern follows. They seem to be saying the same sort of thing. How
0: fascinating.
1: Yes. And so it seems to be endemic to these phenomena, but it can be turned into a technology. This is why I mentioned the Lockheed Martin patent from 2021, granted by the patent office in coherent matter wave generation, where they talk about using these types of matter for various military purposes, cloaking, teleportation, so forth.
0: You know, I I my wife had a great definition of the paranormal. Uh, The paranormal is what we don't understand and don't want to understand. Yeah, right. The unknown is what we don't understand and do want to understand. Yeah. yeah. I think she nailed it, boy. That's mm-hmm. why she's back there, because she's, she and I are still right. married. We're still partners. Oh, good
1: for you. The, yeah. No, no, really, but oh, that's By the mean- way,
0: you talk, we, we had a great show on synchronicity recently. Yes, yes. And here's one that happened. While we were talking about Yuri Geller... I got an email from Yuri. <laughs> that, there you go. Yeah. There see. Uh, I don't think Incredible. you can do Yeah. Anyway, uh so it, it, you know it's it's weird how that kind of thing happens. Now, there are space-time anomalies around Bigfoot. Uh things you know when 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 you're in the woods and I I think I've been close to this in the woods a couple of times in fact there for various other reasons i don't go in the woods alone anymore because uh, i'd like to come back and uh, i i i think i might tempt some people from other levels of reality who are a little bit uh, casual about sending their friends back any case there's a feeling of something there. It's different. It's a very palpable feeling. I used to feel it in the in, in the woods in Texas when I was a boy all the time. And my brother did too, and he still has many dreams about it and about us seeing things together that we think are dreams because I don't remember them at all, but they may not be. But yeah. what about this connection between this distortion of reality and the mere presence of bigfoot
1: no it's an excellent question this is what people say they experience around cryptids right before the encounter it, it's so prevalent whitley when you're reading these encounters from hundreds and thousands of people that they say that the area became suddenly quiet that even the crickets weren't chirping anymore yeah And this is what Terry Lovelace said happened to him right before the triangular craft came down. It used
0: to happen routinely at our cabin. We knew something was going to happen when that occurred.
1: So the way that some researchers have defined this, they said, well, the boss is coming around. So the squirrels and the other creatures know to shut up because the big boss is there, you know, like a survival instinct, like there's a predator around. But I don't think that's completely what it is even though that might explain part of it because normally crickets are not afraid of these predators and if you're around crickets you know they they can make quite a concert of sound and they're not scared of the same things that you and I or squirrels would be scared of predators
0: let, let, let's face it crickets yeah. are not the brightest bulbs in 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 the forest and they they're they may is he, yeah, I understand. I mean, frogs, might, frogs might, it's a different story, but crickets are not going to stop because they don't know any. They're they don't know there's
1: a problem. But they do stop. And that's the question. Exactly, they do. But they do stop. So Everything they're, stops. They're sensitive Everything. enough to feel something changing. Now, why are crickets... Chirping all together, it's a survival mechanism so you can't locate them, right? Whitley, they all chirp together and it's a big cricket chorus concert of sound when you're around it and you can't, you your sense of directionality disappears. This is why they do this. they They're synchronizing with each other. Books have been written about cricket synchronizing and synchronization of other systems, pendulums, great books about these. But the crickets are doing this as a way to prevent you from telling where they are. So you can't find them if you happen to eat crickets. So they're a group sort of synchronization, a group collective organization. And suddenly they go quiet because they can sense something's around. Or that space time has shifted in a way that you can't even detect them. Like maybe they're still there. Someone suggested to me recently, but you're in a different space. Like, you're starting to resonate with the visitors or the Sasquatch. So you're in a different space. I'm not sure if that's entirely what it is either. But you do get this sudden quiet ahead of time. And it does give you pause. Everybody says you they wondered whether they should leave. <laughs> and they later wish they had. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, but, but I have to bring that up to your previous question about orbs which we didn't completely explore. People have experienced this around orbs and around ball lightning. They've experienced a lot of these same phenomena. Now, in Simeon's mind, and again, I could be wrong, this could be something entirely different, but I haven't seen the evidence for it. When you're around coherent matter states, it starts affecting the other matter around it. In other words, the ordinary matter we're around starts organizing itself to be entrained with the coherent matter, which is what a ball of light is. And there's this fantastic new book about it, put out by the Martin Fleischmann Memorial Project, Bob Greenier, from a Japanese researcher who had some correspondence with Dr. Emoto, by the way. But this is Aki Matsumoto, a cold fusion researcher that we didn't hear about because he was banned from publishing. After he mentioned orbs. he said that he would see them and he gives plenty of evidence from an electron scanning microscope of orbs at a very small scale that he said we're doing all sorts of incredible things. And he said this is what cold fusion is. It's micro ball lightning. And he observed these effects in his laboratory at very small scales. This is why I believe these phenomena are connected. We have some of the best researchers on the planet into ball lightning saying it's the foundation of cold fusion, Lennar, And many other interesting phenomena that are completely natural. But to go back to your question, Woodley, about can it be technological? Yes, it can be turned into a technology. And this is what people have attempted to do with fusion reactions and so forth and defense contractors with cloaking. You can turn it into a technology, but it's nature's technology that already exists. It's already there. Coherent matter. It can exist at the largest scale of a black hole. Far away in the center of our Milky Way or in the, out there in the cosmos, what Matsumoto argues, and I thought in such a brilliant way in his this is a collection of his papers, he said that in his research, you could see these microscopic black holes in re- ordinary matter as a byproduct of collapsed ball lightning, in other words, there's something going on at a very uh, uh at a subatomic level that he said you could see with an electron scanning microscope, which powers a lot of very interesting processes. He said he would see black holes, white holes, wormholes, all at a subatomic level. The point of this being that we've heard all heard this phrase as above, so below. It right. suggests the universe is working on the same principles at the cosmic level or even at the smallest atomic scale. We're somewhere in the middle between atomic and cosmic, at least physically. But the same principles are operating around us. And I believe that is what we call paranormal. Even going back to your wife's idea about it. It's things that we're a little too spooked out to explore. But as Luis Elizondo has pointed out, para just means next to. It just means paramedic, parachute. It's just next to. It doesn't have to be weird. Parallel realities... Whitley, do not have to be inherently strange or scary. They're just, they are different. And perhaps we're not ready to investigate them as a society and we call them spooky and paranormal and all this. But perhaps this is just a type of science that we haven't looked at. And it would be no surprise given that people who want to publish in this in top journals are told you can't publish her anymore if you mention Ball Lightning. Oh, Ball Lightning, very scary.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) right, which is a known no phenomenon. no phenomena.
1: no yeah, phenomena. when
0: I was a kid, my sister and I and some other kids were camping out in the vacant lot behind our house, and we saw not only was it a piece of big ball lightning thing go across the lot, it had a man in it. you could see him, and uh you know we went <laughs> we went back in the house, but uh you know i rem- I've seen that that now, but where I want to go now is. I think it's a direction you've been moving toward in the last part of this terribly fascinating conversation, but I want to be sure we continue to relate it to, to Bigfoot. We don't want to go down this, this path too far. Relic neutrinos, right. the unsung heroes of the paranormal, of paranormal worlds, as you put it in the, in the, in the book. Yeah. Uh, tell us about, Relic relic neutrinos and why they are important in the context of these unusual events.
1: Right. So in order to understand relic neutrinos, we just need to talk about dark matter for a moment. This is something that cosmologists have believed to exist at least 100 years back because of the way that galaxies hold together and the way they rotate and the way that light bends and moves around stars and other celestial objects, that there has to be another matter type of matter out there that is not visible. And based on the estimates of dark matter in the universe, and I wish I had the graph up ready to show you here, it outnumbers visible particles by 10 to 1. Ten to one. It's not just out there, Whitley. Dark matter isn't something that's just far away from us, somewhere in the galaxy, holding things together, something we can't see yet. Researchers like Alexander Parkimov, a former Soviet, now Russian researcher, set up his own uh, lab based on surplus Soviet equipment where he was able to measure some of this dark matter, the type being called relic neutrinos. Relic neutrinos are not like solar neutrinos that we've all heard about for many decades. Solar neutrinos are very, very tiny particles and very fast. They are emitted by the sun. Uh, Neutrinos, by the way, are something that even science had trouble accepting. When Enrico Fermi, if you think dark matter is a little weird, it's always been weird, folks. When Enrico Fermi attempted to publish his papers on neutrinos in 1930, Enrico Fermi, the father of the atomic bomb, the first nuclear reactor, University of Chicago, the Chicago Pile, you know, one of the mainstays of the Manhattan Project. When he attempted to publish a paper in 1930 on neutrinos, uh, I think it was Nature magazine said it was just too far fetched for people to believe there could be tiny little particles that we couldn't detect very easily. But nonetheless, neutrinos are detected about... 25, 30 years later, after Fermi proposes them in some famous experiments. Well, there are other types of neutrinos than just solar neutrinos. They're particles that come from the cosmic background radiation. And this is kind of neat because it shows we have a connection to what's going on in the cosmos. Right. They're from the original Big Bang or an event like that. And they're a very small particle, but bigger than solar neutrinos. They're slow. Their wavelength is big enough to interact with atoms and molecules and biological material. And based on Parkhamov's research, very extensive research on the position of the earth relative to the solar system, the Milky Way and other galaxies, he was able to show there's variations in relic neutrino flow. They're literally lensed by the sun, by the moon, by any gravitational object. We can't detect them directly, but they have a gravitational effect. And so Parkimov was able to show there's variations in relic neutrino flux and flow during the year, even during the day, and that this affects things like biological processes, chemical processes, even radioactive decay rates, which should be very constant, in naturally radioactive materials would have variation depending on the amount of these neutrinos in our atmosphere, in, our, in hitting the earth at all times, because there's variation in the relic. There's correlation between the flow of relic neutrinos and biological and chemical processes. And people like Takiyaki Matsumoto, who I just introduced you to a few minutes ago, found that that was exactly the energy signature you needed to make cold fusion experiments self-sustained is relic neutrinos. So there, and other experimenters have found this too. It's not completely conclusive science, but CERN, laboratories, NASA have all said that relic neutrinos exist and that they are a small component of dark matter. One to 2%, even one to 2% of all the dark matter that's out there, think about the universe, is still more than all the physical matter that we can see in the universe. So there are these dark forces. I'm not saying negative, I'm just saying physically dark right. Right. from the cosmos that we interact with that drive and sustain biological and chemical reactions.
0: But And they're, they're part of this whole experience. And let's talk now about some of the battery going dead stories, because I think they're related to what we've just been talking about.
1: I think so too. And I'm glad you brought that up. Even before I was aware of this research about 10 or 15 years ago, I, Created a paper that I put on ResearchGate and some of these online academic sites where I said, is it possible that crop circles are actually organizing dark energy? Dark energy is a related force that pushes things apart. Back then, I thought it could be dark energy, but is it a dark matter energy phenomena that the spiraling shape, the vortex shape of some of these crop circles is organizing the energy of the cosmos? Remember, at least, even just with dark matter, it's 10 to 1. Right. And that's what's creating some of this energy. Because it's interesting you bring this up about the battery failure. Alexander Parkimov had been in the classified Soviet remote viewing program, Whitley.
0: Mm-hmm. He
1: studied PK. He has it in his book, Space Earth Human, which I referenced in Dark Matter Monsters. He talks about being in the Soviet psychic research program and they just didn't it wasn't just rv they did pk too. he says he was around these psychics they could do some of the most incredible things that he could see and he speculates it's speculation at this point that this has something to do with the same dark matter forces that he said he also saw in his cold fusion experiments now he's one of the world record holders by the way for cold fusion experiments he was able to sustain a reactor for 225 days. I don't think it's a coincidence that one of the world's leading experts in cold fusion, Leonard, also was in a remote viewing program, PK. And he speculates in the book that occasionally the Earth encounters small black holes that enter our atmosphere and cause things like what? Tunguska? Tunguska? He said yeah. there have been smaller examples of this in Russia that we didn't hear about in the U.S., but I bet we didn't even hear about our own examples in the U.S. when this happened, where events that were attributed to earthquakes or something like that was not, what, again, not what the witnesses said they saw. They literally saw things fly off the ground with no shock. They would say things would hit the ceiling. Yeah. And there's a couple of cases. He attributes this to... Kind of something related to ball lightning, but kind of the inverse, uh, you know, a, a small black hole, maybe a basketball size, flying across the atmosphere, dragging with it as it approached ground, nails and shingles and pieces of roof. They People said they saw this, following this object behind. Again, it just goes to the idea that there are different states of matter. And even though we think we're all so smart, we would know it's out there. Believe me, you wouldn't know it's out there. And I'll just say one thing about that to prove this. I got permission to share this story in Dark Matter Monsters from a former, you know, person within the Pentagon who had a pretty high position. And he was very reluctant to share the story, but I said, I think it's important for our research that there was a town in the Midwest sometime in the 60s that completely lost all electromagnetic function for a day. There was total electromagnetic collapse, not even batteries worked. And they were monitoring this town from a distance. I was allowed to say this because I'm not supposed to say which state it happened in. For 24 hours, there was no electrical function, cars wouldn't start. And they're able to detect this with the sensor grid that out there that john has talked about Mazint and so forth these department of defense detector systems which you know they have a reasonable right to monitor the u.s to see if there's thermonuclear explosions and things like this right well they were detecting a complete loss of electromagnetic function they never had an explanation for it it was suspected could be ufo in the area they never found out what caused it. But when I read Parkhamov's book about small black holes and weird electromagnetic effects that were experienced temporarily in various small Soviet cities and towns in certain neighborhoods, it reminded me of that. And I'm just going to suggest if these events have happened, we wouldn't be he- hearing about it because it took a lot of effort for me just to get that story.
0: Yeah. That, and And those events probably do happen and there's, yeah. There's a sense of tremendous sense of a loss of control involved and there's nothing the government can do about it. And they tend to keep things like that secret if they affect the public. Now I want to talk about a little bit more about these uh, uh, batteries, cases, especially the Estes Park one. I, I want you to tell us about that and then go into the, brain drain that she felt for a day and a half after the encounter that dovetails with an experience i had in south texas in uh back in the 90s of uh, going to a a ranch where there was a strange circle wasn't it was in a feedlot so it was hardly a crop circle the cattle were just surrounding the circle and putting their faces and they wouldn't leave as the rancher wanted to know what was going on and i went into the into the circle. I had friends uh, who were taking videos of the circle and so forth. And I went into the circle with a metal detector and I, I was sapped of energy. I slept for 24 hours. I could barely get back to the car. Uh, now, this situation in Estes Park a woman goes to a friend's cabin. She's taking photos of an area she thought she heard strange sounds. Her phone goes dead. Take it from there.
1: Yes. Well, thanks again for reading the book so carefully to pick up all these. Well, that's the thing.
0: The difference between me and most podcasters is I read every book.
1: I I... do appreciate it because these stories are worth repeating. That's why we're here. I'm not here
0: to ask vague questions. I'm here to talk about this and have fun with my. I do
1: appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, Whitley. Uh, everyone should listening should know not everybody reads as carefully as Whitley does. And it's important because the reason we put these stories in our books is because they matter. Whitley, this is something I started seeing in crop circles. The first time was when I went over in 1997 and you heard reports of battery failure and then you started seeing it in your own devices. Uh, Ron Russell, who is an artist from the Denver area, was giving crop circle tours. We went over with him that year. And he put his Sony camcorder down in the Danebury Triad Formation near Andover. Danebury being, an, I think it was an old Viking site. And there was a beautiful crop circle there, kind of a triad. He put his, his camera down. It got very hot a few minutes later. And it wasn't from the sun. I mean, it was really hot. He had left it on. And then it wouldn't work. He sent it back to Sony. They said the solder joints had melted from the transformer. Wheat does not ordinarily do that. It's an insulator, okay? There has to be something else going on in these crop circles, and very few people, uh, and, I, and I'm not saying that it, it could have been man-made or not. I don't know, but I'm saying it doesn't matter, is when you have that shape there, other energies coming through, whatever created it to begin with. I know that's a controversial point, but that's what I believe about it. He, I saw this myself in many crop circles, camera and battery drain, uh, devil's den formation three devices in half hour as people walked in they said what happened to my device i saw this i videotaped it my other part person i was with uh masamaki uh, a sushi restaurant owner from boulder who just happened to run into over there his camcorder went on the fritz weird things so imagine my surprise whitley we're here we are years later and it's happening around Bigfoot as opposed to relic yeah. primate
0: what's so fascinating
1: this doesn't hey. happen when you go to the zoo. Does anyone remember oh. their cameras burning out when they were near the gorilla section of the zoo or the the other uh, primates that were there, chimpanzees and so forth uh, the other elements of the the human family tree? No so it shows us we're not dealing with a relic primate or if we are, it's one with supernatural powers because this is what this is what really sucked me into this topic Whitley. It wasn't just realizing that they were in the Colorado area in Boulder, around there, that it had happened in some of the county parks, just on the outskirts of town, just three or four miles from where I live. People had seen them and not reported it for 10 years because of the fear of stigma, that this is happening around us to your neighbors and people you know, and they're not talking about it. But once I started reading into the literature, boy, was I shocked to find it was the same thing we saw around crop circles. And this particular case you're mentioning, I've talked to these witnesses in person. Uh, They were at visiting a friend's part. uh, 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 It was someone from out of town who had a a seasonal cabin there. It was a person from Florida. They were checking up on his cabin in Drake, Washington. It's on the BFRO website, this encounter. Uh, She said to me, the witness said to me that she... uh, heard what sounded like babies crying, a baby crying. This is very common with Sasquatch encounters, the baby crying sound. She goes to investigate. She sees some commotion in the trees behind her. She whips out her iPhone and just starts taking a couple pictures on the hopes of capturing something. And she did capture something that looks more like what we call a blob squatch. It does have that shape. We can't absolutely be certain, but what's interesting is happened next. All of a sudden, the phone goes completely dead, and she starts feeling confused. She felt like, she said, I felt like I'd been zapped by infrasound. Not sure if that's what it is. She didn't hear anything, but that's what people call it, infrasound. It's like some sort of wavelength that paralyzes you. Anyway, she feels so confused, she can't find her way back to the car where her husband is waiting for 100 feet down the trail can you imagine being that confused that you can't make it Boy, that would be
0: you'd think my goodness i'm having a stroke
1: right the only way she did have a walkie-talkie that still worked and the only way she could get back to the car is he started hitting stones together to make sounds loud enough for her to hear she said follow the stones follow the sound of me hitting the stones together Can you imagine those of us who are so technologically sophisticated? We have the latest smartphones and everything. And at least some of us do. Yeah. Even my mom is pretty up to date. I keep her up to date and she's 92. But we're all so used to this high tech and we have it with us and our smartwatches and all this. And all of a sudden that doesn't work anymore and you're back to hitting stones together. Locate someone a hundred feet away. Right. She called it brain fog. When I asked her, she said... Specifically, it lasted for a day and a half. Now, this is what people have reported around Sasquatch many times as a, seems to be a side effect of the telepathic communication or their presence. To me, again, one interpretation is as predators, they can emit sounds that could paralyze their prey. We know there are certain animals, fish, that will do this to paralyze their prey. There's the, what is it that the bullet shrimp or something, the one that makes a cavitation. (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Paralyzed with the (laughs) the cavitation we were talking about earlier in the show. They're going to collapse of particles so quickly. Uh, But another interpretation is that Bigfoot is literally another state of matter. Bigfoot is another state of matter, which is why they can morph in and out of our reality. I think the biggest shock, Whitley, for people is going to realize that we are around life forms that are made of another state of matter than we are. And they can do things that we can't do without a lot of training. And their being around that state of matter is like being around a high intensity fusion reactor or some other energy process that leaves you feeling dazed. The only analogy I have is perhaps going to a Led Zeppelin concert (laughs) When I was 14, my first concert was Led Zeppelin in Madison Square Garden. I grew up in the New York area in 1977. That's my first encounter with a live concert is Led Zeppelin. I went out of there feeling dazed and confused in a good way. A lot of energy there, a lot of sound. That's the only analogy I have. I haven't experienced this brain fog directly, though. I have to say, Whitley, RV sessions can leave you feeling a little weird, and we've often thought it's just a matter of energy that your brain is using to do this. Maybe we're shifting into another state of.
0: Oh, fooey We've gotten a truly really, many witnesses yes, report this
1: feeling of confusion, and uh, yeah, your 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 picture is minor confusion, and that, that it's called brain fog, and I think it's a characteristic of being exposed to coherent. Matter. Coherent matter, Whitley, I just want to summarize what this is very quickly since I used the phrase. Uh, this is like a Bose-Einstein condensate, but it's at room temperature. And this is why it matters so much. We know the Bose-Einstein condensate coherent matter. I mentioned all the atoms become one big atom as Einstein and Bose predicted in the 20s. It's been seen at room, look, very low temperatures. When you take all the heat out of it, they just kind of condense. Coherent matter is at room temperature. If you can do that at room temperature, we're talking about something that has alchemical effects, something we were told was not real, that Isaac Newton was interested in alchemy. It turns out to be real because researchers that are involved with this area of linear cold fusion report elements changing into other elements. Even in Matsumoto's book here, he's showing Carbon films being ejected by a pure lead ball after being exposed to Lenner energies. It should be impossible by ordinary physics, but it's been seen many times. Pure carbon coming out of pure lead. It's impossible by conventional physics. So, and this is, people have seen this for a long time. It's many research. So the point is, we're dealing with something that's working at such a fundamental atomic level of transmutation of elements. We're talking about an electro nuclear force that's so strong it literally crushes elements at the atomic level. And when they re-emerge, they're different elements. And that would cause all sorts of interesting effects up and down the electromagnetic scale that I think would cause brain fog.
0: Interesting. What an explanation for 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 what happened and what a an incredible vision of this remarkable anomaly called Bigfoot and how it relates to ball lightning, UFOs, crop circles, and so much more. And, you know, I sit back and I think to myself about what we've just talked about, and I, I can really feel the presence of this intelligence like it was watching us right now. And saying, they're on to something. Shall we zap or let live? <laughs> <laughs> so good luck, Simeon. Let's see if we get through the day. Because this place, my friends call this ha- this uh, apartment the unquiet flat for a reason. If, uh, any- if we annoyed anybody by discovering some things and talking about some true things they want to keep secret. And I'm not talking about the government. I'm way past their level at this point. I'll hear from them. And folks, you'll hear from me, assuming I can can communicate. What fun. What a wild show. We, gosh, we had fun, Simeon. Yep. Dark Matter Monsters, folks. And get into his stuff. Get into his stuff. You tell us your website addresses because it, uh, people, it, I say the website address and it goes in one ear and out the other. But when the yep. guest says it, people remember. So say your main website and the remote viewing, the remote residence viewing website.
1: Sure, Whitley. And again, I have thoroughly enjoyed this interview and I do so much appreciate someone that's read the books and and, it's, and can ask such intelligent questions. It's <laughs> thank fantastic. You. And thank you very much. Uh, my websites, my blog is newcrystalmind.com. You can get to all things Simeon from newcrystalmind.com and to where I repost, you know, Interviews like this and all sorts of interesting information, you can get links to all my books. Dark Matter Monsters, it has its own website too, of course, darkmattermonsters.com. <laughs> what else? Uh, but my RV classes, which I like to do several times a year, are at virtualviewing.org, virtualviewing.org. And you can see the self-paid classes that you could sign up for any time and just do this on your own. See what happens at your own pace we can do some sessions together afterwards to see that you've picked it up. Or we're doing a live class right now where we meet by Zoom. And we'll do live classes again, I'm sure. Assuming we sort of overcome COVID, at least as an immediate threat, we would do live classes. And I'm also looking forward to doing a conference at some point, Whitley, in Estes Park, perhaps this fall, where we spend a couple days together. We can all sit around and talk about all this. And we can go out to some of these Sasquatch hotspots, The people that I've met there have told me the locations to go. And I have to say I have visited some of them several times to see if I can pick up some of what we're talking about here, the balls of light, the energy. And I think you really tapped into it in your last comment. You can almost feel this mirror reality next to us. When you pick up on this, folks, you're going to actually feel it. I think this is why martial arts, tai chi, have talked about the chi energy and so forth. I think it's all related to this. And when you've sort of got it, you sort of in your mind, it feels clear that there are these other forces, these highly compressive forces that we can access. You can start to feel another reality there. And maybe whitley, lead the denizens of this reality, instead of deciding to zap us, well will uh, actually meet with us a little more frequently. We'll get to know them a little better. And we'll yeah. kind of go into their reality, not just randomly. Right. Uh, but it will.
0: Maybe therefore. the relationship could improve. I mean. I it, would like the relationship
1: to improve. Well said. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's improve the relationship, folks. But we need to accept that side of reality. And I think, Whitley, before we interact with that reality we need to experience it within ourselves we can't get into this and feel like we're in a state of terror immediately just experiencing our own energy fields we have to become better at managing our own energy fields then well i think we'll interact with these other life forms and creatures which i believe exist and i believe exist in this mirror dark matter reality i think they're there they know how to get to our reality Whitley. why don't we go over to theirs in a safe Positive way too, once we yeah, don't freak out about way, it. That's
0: very critical. Yes. Okay. Simeon Hine on Dreamland, thank you very much for being with us. And subscribers, tell your friends about the show and about the site because we're not getting the new subscriptions we need. And we need you to tell your friends that's the way to do it. Uh, so we'll see you again next week on. Dreamland. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and